Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kylan, friends. Today, we're going to be joined by Katie Halper, who, of course, was recently censored and fired by The Hill. Um, you know, I know you have quite a bit of experience at The Hill, so it'll be interesting to see you two bounce off each other, and I'll just sort of sit there and listen to all the stories and whatnot. Uh, so really, really big issue, a really important issue involves corporate media versus independent media, censorship, deplatforming, all these things. So... Um, That'll be that'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah, I definitely want to hear. Um, I want to hear everything from Katie about what happened, about you know how this all unfolded, how she's doing now, what her plans are going forward. And I mean, there's a reason why when Sagar and I started rising, we had Katie on the show every single week. She became one of our regular contributors. We did a media segment with her every single week, and it's because she is a hilarious and sharp critic of you know the media of uh, our government of the Israeli government. I mean. She's just a very astute commentator. So I'm um, excited to talk to her about her recent experience, but also about a variety of other things as well. Totally. So uh, before we get into that, I know you have an update for us on the Herschel Walker situation. Let's call it. Let's be kind. Say so he's got a little bit of a situation going on. Mm, yes. A little abortion here and there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, a little family, family drama definitely playing out in that race right now. Um, so, of course, you guys probably know Daily Beast com article comes out. Uh, of a woman saying, uh, not only did, you know, uh, not only do I accuse Herschel Walker of having given me the funds to, you know, get an abortion and he sort of pressured me into doing it, but <laughs> here's a receipt. <laughs> here's the copy of the check. Here's a get well card that he sent thereafter. So lots of, you know, bol bolstering support there uh, and evidence of that this all happened. Herschel Walker comes out, flat out denial, says he's going to sue the Daily Beast. Then doesn't. Too. Hasn't done that. He said, tomorrow surprise, I'm suing surprise. them. And then nothing. Then his son, who is a conservative commentator in his own right, I think he has a podcast called like Uncancelable. So that gives you a sense of what his politics yeah, but are. He's the anti-gay gay guy. Is that like his he's thing? gay, but he hates gay culture. He like all that stuff. I mean, I yeah. haven't I haven't watched his mm -hmm. stuff, well, that's so what I don't is, yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know what his deal is. But I do know he is on the right and he has been an ally and advocate for his dad's campaign, sort of outspoken about it. Um, this is the one son that Herschel Walker had been acknowledging existed from the beginning. So he does, when this abortion story comes out, does a total 180 and goes scorched earth and is just going after his dad saying like, you know, your violence forced us to move. And the reason I talk about absent fathers is because I was affected by it and you got to stop with the lies and being a hypocrite and pretending to be some moral Christian religious guy. So that all happens. And again, Herschel Walker continuing to deny, deny, deny. Then... Today, this morning, this is Thursday when we're recording this, there's another story that comes out from the Daily Beast um, with the woman who originally accused Herschel Walker of, you know, helping her get this abortion saying, you know, not only did I have this abortion, but by the way, I'm the mother of one of these children um, because one of the knocks was, oh, this is just someone on his person. And Herschel Walker had said, I don't even have any idea who this woman is. And she's like, yes, you do, because not only did this happen, but also I did ultimately have one of your kids. So that's kind of where things stand. All right. So with all that, now let's take a look. He just talked to Hugh Hewitt, which hilarious that you pick Hugh Hewitt for your first interview. Let's watch. The Daily Beast has updated the story about your paying for a woman's abortion. Uh, the anonymous woman has now also alleged that she had a child by you. Your response? Uh, I'll say it was the same thing I said, that, uh, you know, I know this is untrue. And I know it's untrue. And they keep telling me things like that. And it's totally, totally untrue. And uh, I'm not sure why uh, that will be told. I know nothing about any woman having an abortion. And 
and uh, so they they can keep coming at me like that, and and they're doing it because uh, they want to distract people. I know that because you know I've already been forgiven, and if I've been forgiven, why in the world will I not be forgiven of something I like that? And I'm not so, saying being forgiven. Go ahead. Is there anything you need to be forgiven for vis-a-vis a woman whose name we do not know? Do you know who this woman is, and do you need to <laughs> oh. be forgiven? Well, that's, that's what's so funny. And I'm saying I've been forgiven because of all the things I did when I went to my, when I, the, the thing with my ex-wife and all that and things I did. I don't know how many years ago that I wrote in my book. I said, guys, I wasn't perfect. I had my problem with mental health. And I've, uh, I've, uh, I've, I've been, I've, I've, I've been, I've, I've, I've been born again, but I, I have a new life and I've, I've been moving forward and, and, uh, and and if that had happened, I would have, I would have said it because there's nothing to be ashamed of there. You know, people have done that, but I know nothing about it. And, uh, if I knew about it, I, I would be honest and talk about it, but I know nothing about that. What do you so, mean that? Okay. So he keeps contradicting himself because he says it's untrue. It's untrue. It's untrue. And then he later goes on to say, well, I've been forgiven. But if it's untrue, then what do you need to be forgiven for? You didn't do anything right. wrong. Right. So, yeah. that, I mean, just, just colossal contradiction. The and other he, thing is... He says, if that had happened, I would have said there's nothing to be ashamed of there. People have done that, but I know nothing about it. It's just, you know, he, he's a mess. Um, he also released an ad uh, where he says in it, like, you know, basically I had mental health problems, but I've been forgiven by the Lord. Now... That you could either say is in relation to this story, or it could have been Herschel trying to get ahead of another round of stories because Christian hinted in his videos going after his dad, like he was literally physically abusive. So he might be trying to get ahead. So now if that comes out, he'll probably say, oh, this is untrue. This is untrue also, but I've been forgiven and I also had mental health problems. So again, there'll probably be another fundamental contradiction. So, you know, look, the, the thing is, for people on the right, who actually believe in the pro-life idea. And Herschel says he's one of them, right? No exceptions whatsoever. For life of the mother, even. Yeah. For for rape, for incest. If you believe that, then you have to think Herschel basically did murder for hire. His his, uh, baby's mom did murder for hire. The doctor who performed the abortion is a murderer. And he would throw the book at these people. So the idea is, I don't really believe it. Abortion for me, not for thee. Right. Right. Like, so everybody else I will punish. And, but ultimately, look, like Dana Loesch got into a lot of crap the other day because she said, like, I don't care that this happened. I actually think that's a weirdly honest perspective from the right. Yeah. Because their argument is, is like, yeah, if he did this, even if he aborted, let's say, in theory, 20 babies, well, he's still going to vote against abortion when he's in the Senate. So yeah. the net good there is he's saving millions of babies. So who cares that he killed 20, basically? Like, that's the logic. Yes. And that, so back during the Bill Clinton era, there was this partisan divide in terms of, like, how do we feel about whether a leader's, like, personal morality matters? And the right was, of course, all in in the Bill Clinton blowjob era of, right. like, of course, personal morality in our leadership, we have to have it. And that basically, like, that general sentiment sort of lasts among the right up until Trump. And then it's the right. latest yeah, yeah, yeah. flipped. And I remember there was polling at the time of, like, how instantaneously they flipped to being, like, actually, we don't care about that. What we care about is, like, eyes on the prize. We want those Supreme Court justices. We Power. want Roe versus Word, mm-hmm. Wade overturned, and that's what we're willing to to 
you know, were willing to go along with basically anything in order to get that done. And sure enough, I mean, Trump, for all of his various like personal life, moral failings or whatever, as they would be seen by the religious right, he is the one that gets the Supreme Court justices in that ultimately gives them what they've long been questing after for decades and decades and decades. So I think that that ship has sort of already sailed in terms of like the judgment on the personal morality piece for the like the hardcore right wing base. That piece doesn't surprise me whatsoever. And, you know, you sort of even among them, you have a mixture of responses. You have people like Dana Lash, who's like, is it Loesch? Lash? I think it's Loesch. Anyway, she's out there like basically, I don't care. Even if it's true, I don't care. He would be a vote for a nationwide abortion ban. That's a far greater good. To be honest with you, I kind of understand that perspective because if it was, you know, I have certain like principles and values and policies I want to see passed. And there is a lot that I would forgive if you have this like very clear choice between those two things. But then the other thing that they're trying to say is just like, this is fake and it's not true. And they, you know, it's an anonymous woman and this is just invented and it's fake news and all of that. That's going to be, I think, fairly hard to sustain because number one, um, he came out with such a hard and fast denial that it has made people who know he is lying want to prove that he is, in fact, lying. So that's why this woman comes out with, you know, this other story saying, not only do you know who I am, I'm the mother to one of your children. Right, that's yeah. part of why you have Christian Walker going so incredibly scorched earth. And as you're indicating, like, this is far from the only thing that could come out mm-hmm. here about Herschel Walker. And there are a lot of people, including his son, Christian Walker, who know where those bodies are buried, who now have an incentive to say, oh, really? You're going to still say this is lies? You're going to still posture like you're this moral Christian man? I'm going to prove to the world what a liar you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see what ends up happening with Christian because his whole social network was built on the right. And then now they all despise him because he's out there like, look, this one's personal to me. He's a liar. I just And he said, he's like, I haven't told any stories. I just want him to not lie. Because apparently Christian was told, your dad is going to get out in front of all this stuff his yeah. entire past. He's going to pull the Eminem move and be like, yeah, I did this. I did this. I did this. I was fucked up. But I've moved on. I've grown up. I'm, I've been sh- forgiven by God, et cetera, et cetera. he should have done that. Yeah, well, he you know. Absolutely and, and, and the thing he does now of the, like, I was forgiven by God, that would be a much smarter strategy than the, like, flat-out denial. And I'm going to sue the Daily Beast, which, again, he hasn't done because this is all bullshit. And, like, they have their receipts. So um, I I think that would have been a smarter political strategy to get out in front of this. So, okay, there is something about what this does show, though, is these people don't live what they claim are their principles. You know, they do not live. They do not abide by their principles. And I want to give you uh, an analogy here to sort of show the way I think about these things. So um, every time I, I file my taxes, I have an uncle who's like a you know tax dude. And tax dude, tax attorney, whatever, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> accountant, tax something, doesn't matter. He does my taxes. Uh, he does the whole family's taxes. Anyway, so every time I go to file my taxes, he's always like, you should do this, 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 yeah. to try to claim X big of a deduction. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, y- you won't be paying as much and you should try that. And I'm always like, is that legal? And it's sometimes, it, usually the answer is like, yes, it's legal. But, you know, it is kind of like stretching it. You're stretching it type shit. Yeah. And I always say every single time I want to pay every single penny that I owe because, you know, I'm a guy who's out here claiming I believe in social democracy. I believe in in a in a progressive tax rate system. Yeah. And so for me to then turn around and not now, to be fair, I, I mean, 
the only stuff that I like my tax money going towards is like infrastructure, Medicare, Social right. Security, Medicaid, Not like the war literally 50% of it's it like military. To. So yeah. in theory, I could be like, fuck 50% of it. Try to get me out of 50% of it, right? But I still don't do that because I know that it's aha, a gotcha moment from the right if this were to, you know, people were to ever find out like, oh, look what he did with his taxes. And they'd be able to say, he doesn't live by his principles. But they can't say that because I do. Now flip that to what we see here with Herschel. And it's like across the board on the right, except with Christian Walker, they're all playing defense. And it's like, you know, it, it is, it's all about power. It's all about getting that seat. Yeah, they don't oh, absolutely. care. They if, don't care. If they had, if this had come out like in the primary and they thought there was a chance where they could switch out for a different candidate that they thought would be strong in their general election, totally different situation, totally different situation. But now they have the playbook from the Trump era of just like, plow ahead. keep going, plow, plow ahead. ahead. Go on the offense. Yeah, yeah. Go, exactly. Flip it, go mm -hmm. on the offense, call out the media, say it's all fake, and then hope that you can ride out the storm. Just make it a wash. That's all they're really trying to do. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. He said he really did it like yeah, that's what they're right. trying to do yeah yeah that's exactly right and and also i mean it is true and i know you cover this on your show there was a surge in donations to walker's campaign from his own base right lots of base where mm -hmm. they're so convinced that anything that comes out in the press that is adverse to their side has to 100% be fake. Or they, they don't feel, care. They don't care. They feel, no, I think they believe by and large that you know, this care. is all fake. And so they feel he's under threat. They feel like, all oh, this shows what a threat he is to the system and whatever. So it leads to the search and donations. Now, overall, I think politically, because you need more than just those hardcore Republicans in order to win at Georgia at this point, I think it is a problem for him in terms of this seat. And even this one was so tight, you know, Warnock up a couple, Walker up a couple, like really neck and neck, as close to like flip a coin as you could possibly get. I do think that this is enough that it gives Warnock an edge going into the election because anyone who was kind of like on the fence with this guy, you'd have to look at this and be like, this is this is just a mess. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I think that's l largely correct. Um, my only slight disagreement would just be to caution a little bit of agnosticism because I'm sure there are people who are on the left who are like, oh, good, that's it. We retained the Senate seat. Warnock's going to win. And it's like, uh, I agree he has a little bit of an edge now. It was yeah. dead tied 50-50. I do think ultimately this help, helps Warnock, particularly with, you know, the, the more moderate type voters. And yes. Maybe even with the turnout as well. Like it'll juice up Democratic turnout and maybe suppress a little bit tiny percentage of Republican turnout or whatever. But I mean, all he needs is for some people to not vote on that line. You know, I mean, that would be right. one thing of people who vote for Brian Kemp and then get down to the Senate race and are like, am yeah, sitting that one out or, who, yeah. you know, split the ticket. And it wouldn't take a lot of that to get him over the top. He's raised a lot of money. I think he's, you know, obviously a far more effective candidate than Herschel Walker is already extraordinarily close. And the other thing that we should keep in mind is, again, the story's not over. You know, there's going to continue to Christian be— Christian could end it. He could end it all right now if he comes out and says, here's how he physically abused me and my mom. Because he was hinting, I got this. I got stories, bro. Yeah. You want me to drop the stories the on pictures, you? Here's the pictures. Here's—I mean, Lord knows he could certainly— and I would suspect whether it's Christian or something else, there's going to continue to be these sorts of um, drip, drip, drips until Election Day. And, you know, early voting is starting like basically now. And here's what Warnock is doing. Yeah, just keeping his mouth shut and watching it all <laughs> unfold. Which is definitely which is definitely the right move. Yeah. So, so you would say it goes from toss up to lean D? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, before when we were in Georgia and we we're making our election predictions, I actually predicted that uh, Walker would win 
I no longer think that. <laughs> I, yeah. I still think it's going to be very close. Georgia is also a state where the polls have been wrong in a lot of places, especially in industrial Midwest. The polls have been right in Georgia. They've been really pretty accurate. And I also, I like that Warnock. Does, that doesn't mean that they always will be, but they have been very close within a point or two. So I think you can put a little bit more confidence in the polling down there. And also the fact that it has been close there in the polls the whole time, to me, is also an indication that the polls are reflecting the actual reality of the race. Warnock easily could have pulled a Kirsten Cinema. He could, he could have pulled a Joe Manchin. He could have said, look, I'm from a traditionally red state, so I got to be more moderate and vote 50% with the Republicans. Yeah. He has not done that. And for that, I commend him. Yeah. So I also just like him more. And I, I usually feel like when you make a more affirmative case— for, for your side yeah. that you're going to, yeah, you're going to. People are more excited right, about Right, correct. Yeah. yeah. So, and that matters, especially in a midterm. Totally. Uh, all right. So now let's talk a little bit about what's going on with OPEC+. Plus. I don't know. You probably covered this on yeah. Breaking Points. I talked about it on my show as well. So OPEC+, Plus is like OPEC+, plus Russia. Okay. And so what we learned is they got together and they decided, so it's basically Saudi Arabia and Russia here steering the ship. They yeah. decide, let's cut 2 million barrels a day from oil, you know, from from oil. So yeah. basically what's going to happen is limit the supply. The price is going to go up yeah. probably pretty significantly too, yeah. right? And so this is just in time for the midterm elections now. You have, it's going to be in, inflation again when it comes to gas. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that in turn risks inflation elsewhere in the economy as well. Um, and the other thing that, of course, people are concerned about is because the rising interest rates or when are we going to see that giant spike in unemployment, like officially in a recession. So the economy could sort of be teetering on the brink or, in fact, could be in the downturn mm -hmm. by the time the election comes around. Mm -hmm. Now, that's like the one thing, and I said this when we did our live show for yeah. Breaking Points, that's like the one thing that could derail what otherwise would have been an okay midterm for Democrats. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, with Roe versus Wade being overturned and with the Republicans voting against gay marriage and voting against the right to contraception and, you know, voting against basic good things like the um, the PACT Act, which was health care for veterans who were exposed to toxic burn pits. All that stuff was sticking. You know, Biden doing some decent things was sticking, but then this could all be undone with inflation and unemployment if it goes in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So then the question arises, well, why the fuck did they decide to do this? Why did they decide to do this right now? And the answer is, and I'm curious what you think, from my estimation, everything that I've looked at, well, uh, Mohammed bin Salman wants to fuck over Biden. And yes. he wants to fuck over the Democrats. Correct. And they have snuggled up to Donald Trump in every way imaginable. They're not hiding the fact that they snuggled up to Donald Trump. They're doing a number of uh, golf events at his courses where he's getting paid. Yeah. Some reports are as high as $100 million to have these shitty golf events yeah, at his right. courses. Jared mm -hmm. Kushner, of course, got $2 billion from Saudi Arabia. You have, even when he was president, they took hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mnuchin to got a bunch of money from them. Too. Mnuchin got a bunch of money from them. Yeah. They had hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, through Trump's DC hotel. And then Trump turned around, gave them that multi-billion dollar weapons deal, looked the other way with the Jamal Khashoggi thing. Trump vetoed the, the, you know, the bill that was against arming Saudi Arabia because they're doing the genocide in Yemen. That was Mike Lee and Bernie Sanders who worked together on that. Yeah. And then the other thing I reported on the other day, which didn't get nearly as much coverage as, as I hoped it would elsewhere, um, Norm McDonald, Norm McDonald, no, Norm Coleman, mm -hmm. who is a former uh, Minnesota senator, Republican. Mm -hmm. He's since out of there. I think he was the one that ran against Al Franken. They had that very yeah, close race. That, yeah, that's right. Anyway, he's now a lobbyist and he's primarily a lobbyist for Saudi Arabia. Ninety four million dollars he took and dispersed to the Republican Party. Wow. So 
the Saudi government is 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 making a bet on the Republican Party because they do usually buy both parties. And, you know, it's not like Biden's not serving them, but maybe he's serving them 75 percent of what they want. Trump's going to give them 110 percent of what they want. Mm -hmm. So ninety four million dollars going to the Republicans, all these business connections with Trump and the Saudis. They feel like, well, let's just let's tank the American economy, hurt the Democrats in the midterms, mm -hmm. then we get whatever we want from the next administration. So then that opens uh, the question up. Well, what the fuck can Biden do now? Because they're trying to they're basically trying to fuck him. They're trying to fuck him and fuck the Democrats and screw him over. And, you know, I talked about this, but uh, there are a couple things he could do, but they're all bold things. So I don't know if he'll actually do it. One right. of them is uh, ban oil and gas exports from the U.S. We're the number one producer in the world, but we export most of it. So you could just ban the exports and then domestically we have access to that. That'd be one thing. The next step beyond that would be nationalization, which would be super based. But of course, they're not going to do nationalization. Right, they should, um, and then the other thing is, and there's some hints of this happening now, is like normalize relations with Venezuela. Right. Because they got all the oil in the world and you, can, you could use it. So um, to go back to OPEC thing, I think the reason they're doing it is number one, to fuck Biden, number two, to help their own bottom line, and number three, to help Russia. And this also, there's this whole complicated thing the Europeans are trying to do with us, this like price cap on Russian oil, and this basically blows that up. So that's that. Then in terms of what we could do, like Biden on the campaign trail had talked very tough about making Saudi Arabia pariah state, right? And this really pissed them off. And then we got in this situation where gas prices are super high and Biden's like, oh shit, I gotta do something. So he, they do this trip to Riyadh. They're like basically like on bended knee. Please don't cut, you know, help us, help us with our situation here. And MBS is clearly like, fuck you. No, we're gonna squeeze you. We're gonna like, we are gonna fuck you over in the midterms. We are not on your side. We are not allies. And yet here we are still like, selling them untold amount of arms and like propping them up like their military really depends on us selling them weapons. So one thing we can do, which Congressman Rokana in no in like totally straightforward terms is saying, like, stop doing that. Stop selling arms to them and tell them, like, go fuck yourself. No, we're not allies. It's very clear. We're done kowtowing. And so good luck. We should. But they're going to go right to Russia and Russia's going to or China. And they're just going to immediately give them the weapons they need. Yeah, I'm not saying we shouldn't. Time. As a matter of but principle, we should do that. But that a lot of time because you already have all of the like U.S. made equipment. And so then you've got to like just totally rebuild your military from scratch. Like that's that's a bad situation for them to be in. So that's number one. Number two is right now. Um, OPEC, which is, you know, primarily led by Saudi Arabia, um, is uh, exempt from any sort of antitrust lawsuit. So, I mean, OPEC is a cartel, right? And so they have this immunity from any sort of antitrust lawsuits coming from the United States. There's a bill in Congress called NOPEC that would repeal that uh, immunity and open them up to antitrust. U.S. doesn't have jurisdiction, We though. should do that. But they don't have jurisdiction. OPEC could just be like, no, we're not under your jurisdiction. Fuck off. Well, it's another way that you could sort of like, you know, take a hard turn. And that's something the Biden administration has signaled they might do. Just so they ban said, oil exports. They said that they want to, you know, explore with Congress ways that they could curtail OPEC's power. And this is one way that they're talking. I about just that. feel like, like that's yeah. that's a virtue signaling move. Whereas if you want to get serious, nationalize our oil or ban exports. But the other two things you could do in the list is so you stop selling them arms. You pass the NOPEC bill, open them up to antitrust uh, lawsuits. And then it's, you know, go to Venezuela and go to Iran. That's the other place, like, get the Iranian nuclear deal done. That's why it's a crime and, you didn't get back in in the first place, though. Right. It, that's exactly right. And so here's the thing, too, is like, and this is all very complicated, but um, 
Venezuela, their oil capacity has been significantly degraded. So in terms of the reality of what they would be able to produce, it's not that great. Iran, I think, is in a better position to actually make a dent on the oil market. But because so much of this has to do with like what speculators think the price is going to be and what they think other speculators are going to think the price has to be is going to be all of these little moves that you make can have massive reverberations to the good or to the bad. I mean, that's part of why this cut in production could be so significant because it's not just about the reality of what it means and where the supply and demand curves meet. It also has to do with what speculators think that other speculators are going to think that it means. And so it has these like outsized shocks in the market. Bottom line is, and the other thing they can do is release more oil from the strategic petroleum reserve, which they probably will do. Bottom line is, without taking these actions, you're probably going to see gas prices go up like 30 more cents before the midterm elections. And that's ultimately a political disaster. And the other thing in the long term is do what California just did, which is say we're not selling gas cars anymore after 2030. So it's all electric cars. And then also tied in with that is in the long term, you got to create a good business relationship with Bolivia because you buy their lithium and they have all the tremendous amount of lithium there. But of course, we'd much rather, I'm sure, like topple them with the CIA and then just steal their lithium. But what you should do is have good diplomatic relations with them, get get our lithium up so that we could just make that transition so we're not dependent on anybody's oil. Mm, but yeah, like... That would be ideal. I just, I don't want the... What I, I'm, I'm afraid they're going to do, almost certain they're going to do, is like a soft power move here or there. We are way beyond soft power right now. They are actively saying, fuck you. Yeah. So you say, fuck you back. And we're the United States of America. Like, we could fucking get through this if we want to. Like, nationalize... That's what I'm saying. The free market is not in a place to handle this. This is where you have to say we're nationalizing the oil. Well, and it's not just for now to deal with this crisis. It's also like ultimately we need to wind down fossil fuel production. Of course. To deal with the climate crisis. And so the way to elegantly do that is like, you know, if you want to ramp up production in the short term and then wind it down over the medium to long term, the most straightforward way to do that is to nationalize it. And also final point, and then we'll wrap it up. But by, okay, so they're, they're telling you in no uncertain terms, Joe Biden and the Democrats, fuck you, we're not with you. So- the easiest political winner of all time is to go ham on the campaign trail, campaigning against Saudi Arabia and say, why are Donald Trump and the Republicans in bed with this terrorist state, this state that beheads people in the public square, this state that gives women no rights whatsoever, this state that's currently doing a genocide in Yemen? Why are the Republicans snuggling up to them? Why are you creating business relationships with them? Why did Jared Kushner just take $2 billion from them? This is a theocratic, fascist, terrorist state, and the Republicans are snuggling up to them. So they're weak on crime. We're tough on crime because we want to crack down on that relationship. We don't want that relationship anymore. So, but of course they won't do that because that's like, you know, that's real, you know, changing gotta, global gotta politics. Bring back dark Brandon for that one. You need more than dark Brandon. <laughs> you need dark Kyle or somebody for that, for that one. Nobody, nobody's going to take that political risk. You're afraid you're going to end up, like, killed by some Saudi spy or something. Well, I mean, you want to talk about political interference, like, forget about the Russian Facebook memes or whatever. Like, this is direct election interference. I mean, it's just a—and if you look at Biden's approval rating, this isn't the only thing that's been going on, obviously, but it tracks very closely with the price of gas. Like, as gas was going up, Biden's approval rating was going down. When it started going down again, his approval rating started going back up. And now he's kind of, like, bottom, you know, like, stabilized out. And if anything, approval rating ticking back down. He's at 49 in the YouGov poll. It's going to be a disaster. True. He's at 49 in the YouGov poll, though, so he's still hanging on a little bit. That's a liar. 
Yeah, but 44 is the average. Yeah, that's still not very good. No, that's not very good, but that's like better than Trump was at this point in his presidency. I mean, marginally. I I just, I I don't know. I look at this landscape. I feel like the Democrats kind of peaked a little early. The economy is starting to turn in bad ways. I agree. Also with the Fed policy. I agree, but that's why. It's right there. It's the Fed policy, and now it's going to be what Saudi Arabia is doing to fuck them. If we Mm -hmm. didn't have that... You would be talking about a situation where the Democrats don't get trounced in the midterms, you yeah. know? So. Yeah, and I still think because of some, like, Herschel Walker issues and whatever, they're going to do a little better than maybe they should do, given those macro numbers. But uh, the hopes over the summer of, like, oh, maybe we're going to win Ohio, maybe we're going to win Wisconsin, whatever, eh, All right. not well, looking good. We'll see. All right, guys, um, time to get to our guest, Katie Helper. She is the co-host of Useful Idiots podcast. She is also the host of the Katie Helper show. Check her out on YouTube. Definitely help her out on Patreon um, because, as we were describing, she just was canceled and censored from the Hill. So she definitely needs your support and is an important independent voice. Let's get right to it. Katie Helper, always wonderful to see you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of Great course. to see you guys, too. Um, so how's it feel to have been canceled and censored and all of these things? Uh, you know, it feels there's been a lot of support, which is obviously really nice. Um, I feel like I should be giving a pep talk and talk about how victorious I've been over the, you know, can- censorious uh, canceling forces. It's 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 hard. Um, it's a downer. It's a bummer. It's depressing. But uh People have been really supportive, and I think it's important to highlight the kind of uh, censorship that happens uh, at places that people don't want to talk about precisely because if they do talk about it, they'll get fired. Yes. Well, and for people who didn't follow this closely, can you just lay out for folks the timeline of of what happened so we're all sort of on the same page for the start of this conversation? Yeah, of course. So what happened was I'm—it's a little, like— don't want to be too inside baseball about it, but I feel like you I kind of have to explain the hosting versus guesting thing. So I've been, thanks to you and Sagar, um, you guys had me on when I, when you guys were at Rising, obviously. Yep. And yep. so I, I started doing a weekly segment. And over the past three years, I did the weekly segment. I took some time off when you guys left, and then they asked me on. So I missed a couple of weeks during that, sh- that shuffle. But I've been doing it for basically three years, coming on as a guest every week. And then in addition to that, they had asked me to do some guest hosting, guest co-hosting. So as people probably know, on Rising, there's someone on the left, someone on the right. So I was their leftist person for, I think I'd done it three times. And then this was my fourth time. So, and I was going to do it two more times. So that would have been a total of seven times. Um, And when you are a host, you can do something called a radar which is a monologue delivered straight to the camera. And I had done that uh, the first couple of times I hosted, I didn't want to do it because I wanted to make sure I was getting the hosting down. You know, like I had mastered that. Yeah. But this time I was like, okay, great. I'm going to do a a radar now. So I wrote my radar and it's pretty funny because I remember I had three things I was thinking about doing. One was Ukraine, one was immigration and one was uh, Israel. Okay. And uh, the Rashida Sleep thing happened, so I decided to go with that one. And it's just funny because in my head, I'm like, if I had started with the two other ones, uh, you know, I'd probably still, well, I'd still be at the Hill until I, I had done the third one. <laughs> until you Israel eventually one. did that one. Yeah, yes, exactly, which would have yeah. happened because it's obviously an issue you care a lot about. Yeah, it, was, it is. Yeah. Um, I'm like, damn, though, I should have gotten some more monologues out of that, that gig. Um, and then, so so I went in there, I hosted, 
uh, we, I recorded my radar. Uh, and also, as, as you guys know, there's no like editorial, there's not a vetting process for the radar. You just right. do it. They, you email it to them, they put in the teleprompter. I did it. Um, I, it's funny. I did have to, I, they had to move the camera closer. This is not, neither here nor there, but that was the one, one issue. It was a little far away. Um, some behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so they, I recorded it and then we, I did the rest of the show. They, they came in to record a pickup, which I was a little like surprised and confused by. So they had Robbie, the guy on the, you know, the right wing voice, they had him record a pickup where he basically repeated one of the talking points verbatim. So backing up a little bit, sorry, my radar was about, and maybe you guys can cut in a clip of it or something, but my radar was about. Rashida Tlaib being slammed for saying that progressives are realizing more and more that you can't be progressive and also support Israel's apartheid state. She got slammed over those comments, you know, the usual smears that it was anti-Semitic. Jake Tapper, who has a, a track record for being like really picking on her. Mm -hmm. uh, he did a segment on her. You know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz said it was outrageous. Uh, so my radar was like, yeah, it's outrageous. What's outrageous is that uh, Rashida Tlaib is being attacked for just stating the truth about Israel being an apartheid state. And then my radar went through why Israel is an apartheid state. And I based it on UN law, the International Criminal Court, because apartheid is actually a crime. It's defined by international law as a crime. So I went through the language of what what constitutes apartheid. Then I looked at actual language of Israeli law. Then I quoted a lot of Israeli officials, including uh, Israeli prime ministers who said that Israel was an apartheid state or was going to be one if there was no two-state solution reached, which obviously there has not been a two-state solution reached. I also quoted B'Tselem, which is an Israeli human rights organization, and I cited uh, Palestinian human rights organizations and, and as well as Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch, but I want to make sure to get B'Tselem because they are Jewish and so much of the pushback against um arguing that Israel's an apartheid state is, oh, it's, it's anti-Semitic. You're picking on Israel. It's like, well, okay, but this Jewish Israeli human rights organization that focuses on the occupation has now declared that it's an apartheid yes. state. Well, and it's worth noting, you are yourself Jewish. I am Jewish, right. Yes. Um, and I point out in the monologue, I say, you know, I could, I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. My I'm third generation New Yorker. My family before that is from Eastern Europe. And I could today move to Israel get a job, move around freely, build a house. And so could Jake Tapper and Jonathan Greenblatt, the uh, head of the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, who smeared uh, Rashida Tlaib. And someone like Rashida Tlaib, a Palestinian like Rashida Tlaib, can't even go back to her family home that's in, in what is now Israel. So so, yeah. so you make this case. And by the I way, the people should go and watch the full uh, Radar, which Katie yeah. filmed with Breakthrough News, um, yeah. and which is now available. And you'll see how well argued and thorough and, yeah. and reasonable, I think, the cases that you make irrefutable, in my view. Yeah. And so your first sign that there's something a little off is they have you record, they have Robbie record this pickup that's basically like reading some canned statement kind of from the ADL, which is right. pushing back. And so that's kind of your first indication that something is going on here, right? Yeah, right, yeah. So I think like, oh, that's weird. But I also knew, I mean, what's what's interesting is that I had been very critical of Israel in the past, um, but 
And I thought this would get, you know, people upset, but I didn't think anything would happen at the Hill because I had been so critical of Israel in the past. So anyway, hmm. so that pickup happens. Then I'm on my way out. I'm rushing out the door because I have to uh, record useful idiots. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get a call from the producer who's clearly kind of upset. And she tells me that, you know, she wanted me to hear from her that they weren't going to be releasing my radar because higher ups had seen it and they uh, had some problems with it, some issues with it. And then she told me that they had a new policy of which she was not aware, which was that um, they don't do op eds on Israel, either written uh, or video. Uh, yeah. And then she told me that the good news is, though, that they do you can do segments on it. So at this point, my understanding was you can't do a straight to the camera monologue or written or write for the the Hills newspaper. Not the moot point for Mm -hmm. me, but you can't do a straight to the camera monologue on Israel. But you could talk about it as a guest uh, during a segment. So during a, a discussion. Right. Okay. So um. I and the producers were really trying to do the right thing. We were talking about maybe it's not on the producers. Yeah, no, it's not at all. We were going to play maybe the radar and then have someone from a with an opposing view respond to it. And we went back and forth. And then Wednesday, I got a call from Bob Cusack, who was just like, we're not going to run it. And I asked why. And he was like, well, we get a lot of pitches that we don't take, which I was like, but that's not how radars work. Like, maybe that's how the newspaper works or the website at the Hill, but I know that that's not how it works because I have friends who do this and write radars and I know that they just send them in and they are not checked. And that's not a dig on the the producers. It's just, not, that's not how they do it. It's like right. the person creates it and they read it. So I was a little confused. And he was saying it wasn't like their sweet spot of coverage, which also I found confusing. Um, and so, uh, and I was like, is it because he's like, because of it's about Israel. And he was like, Oh, it's for the rationale that I said, I honestly couldn't understand if he was saying yes, he said yes, but I couldn't understand if he was like, yes, that was the rationale or yes, that the rationale is what I said. So I, I don't want to, he didn't like overtly say yes to me. It's clear that that's what it was. Cause that's what I was told by the producers. Um, so then at this point I'm kind of like stunned and bummed. And then I, text the producers, okay, so can I talk about on my segment? Because this was a Wednesday and I record my weekly segments on Thursday mornings. Mm. So I go, can I talk about on my segment? And they're like, oh, this person should have emailed you. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, who's with Nextstar, should have emailed you. So I check my email and that's when I see, hi, Katie, we won't be needing you to come in to do your radar tomorrow morning. Please send all unpaid invoices. Best of luck. And I was mm. like, are wow. you kidding? I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. I was stunned because I thought that we were having conversation that they value. I I thought that they valued me just like, I mean, look, they're a corporation. I thought they valued me because I went on every week. Right. And they need, they need the content. I'm not going to lie. I didn't think that they valued me as a a voice. It's like a human being. It's a human being. Yeah. 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 Um, But I did. And I felt like totally disposed of and I was pretty shocked. And I also... I was worried when I was there, like I was really worried that the story was going to be leaked because I knew that there was a leak because I saw those two Daily Beast pieces. Yeah, somebody's that, been talking to the Daily yeah. Beast so, a bunch. So, yeah, and I really sure. also was like, that can't come out. Like we don't, you don't want that to come out that you're censoring people. And I, you know, so I was really trying to make this work. And I, I would have made the compromise of just doing, if, if, 
it, this is a little, maybe it sounds not that brave, but if my staying on being able to do Israel content meant that it had to be in the form of a segment, not a monologue, it would have been messed up. But that's maybe, I was thinking maybe I would just do that because if I, I wanted, I'd rather that than no coverage at this kind of mainstream corporate entity because I wanted to make sure that I did get it out and I was able to cover it all the time. Another thing is that this um, very censorious um, kind of Israel lobby group called um, Honest Reporting had written a piece about me. Honest uh, Reporting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like an ironic, they don't realize it's an ironic name. But uh, they had written a, a very stupid report like called What the Hill? Because my monologue was on the hill. Uh. Um, what the hill? And then they, uh, so they, there are a lot, there are a lot of groups that, and part of the reason I worked so hard on the monologue, I mean, I always would have because it's a serious, uh, such a serious issue. But I was like super, I also quoted, sorry, the other people I quoted to make the case is I quoted uh, Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, and a current South African minister who also say it's apartheid. Um, and, well, uh, Tutu says in a place, another place that I didn't quote because I didn't find until after, he actually does say it's apartheid. In this place, he just makes shows how similar the experiences are in yeah, apartheid so you, South Africa. You knew that there were some sort of knives out for you. So you made yeah. extra sure that right. this particular monologue dotted every I and yeah. crossed yeah. every T. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, from my reading of the situation as an outsider, it does sound to me like basically you made an ironclad case that Israel is indeed an apartheid state. Yeah. And because it was an ironclad case, they got skittish. They got scared because it's hard for them to be like, no, oh, this is just an opinion. Like, d d this is not yeah. all that big a deal, bro. So before you say anything, yeah, I want to I want to commend you because okay. what you did was very, very brave. Um, what people don't understand is we're you know, we're we're regular people like anybody else. So for you to do this, you lost income. Yeah. You lost access to a large audience right. and you did yeah. it because you said, I need to stand on principle on this issue. And there's a bigger issue, which is, okay, so if you're going to do, you know, a little bit of censorship here and a little bit of censorship there, where does that end? What's right. the limiting principle on that? So now anytime you touch a third rail issue, you have to look over your shoulder like, wait, am I like, am I allowed to say this? Is this stepping on somebody's toes? And so there's no such thing as a little bit of censorship. Mm -hmm. It right. always ends up with. Whatever they don't like, the corporate heads, gone. Got to get rid of it. Yeah. So, the, hold on one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the right is not supporting you. And these are all the people who are, you know, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin. Oh, we oh, believe yeah. in free speech and we're against mm -hmm. censorship. We're against cancel culture. I haven't heard a single goddamn a, word yeah. about a journalist getting fired from a, a, a big corporate media out. Not a single word from the right. And right. then, you know, the left, there are many on the left who are supporting you, but... Before we go any further in the discussion, I want to I want to say to you, how how can the people listening right now directly support you in terms of watching your show, in terms of donating to you? Because it's really important that when we have a situation where somebody gets censored for speaking the truth, and that's exactly what this is, mm -hmm. that they have a safety net. They can fall back on a group of small dollar donors who are willing to say, look, what you did was brave. You stood on principle. You were correct. So we're going to reward you for that. So tell everybody how they can donate to you and how they can subscribe to you. Thanks. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, so at youtube.com slash the Katie Halper show, where you can also find the video in question, uh, you can subscribe. That's obviously just literally press the subscribe and then press the bell. You can like the videos. That would be great. 
Um, also at Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. That's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. For $1 a month, you get to just help support the show, um, which nobody is getting rich off of, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. For $5 a month, you get bonus content, extended interviews. So those are two ways that you can do it. And, you know, I've definitely been like there's you guys have both talked about algorithmic suppression. Uh, I don't know how it functions exactly, but I do know that, for instance, I had Norman Finkelstein on uh, months ago and he got like 70,000 views. That video got 70,000 views. I had him on this week, got like 11,000. It'll probably go up a little bit, but there's definitely my videos have not been getting the numbers they they used to. Yeah. Um, which is depressing. But yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I look, I, I like going, I liked, obviously it's nice to be paid to do hosting. I also liked going into the office, getting my makeup done. I'm not going to lie. That's fun. I like like getting to look like a real anchor, you know, in this like kind of corporate setting. I actually think there's a lot of value in making left wing points in that context because so, do so I. many of the, of the left media people out there, you know, we were scrappy because we don't have big corporate backing. Um, and I think that this lends it a level of gravitas and legitimacy for better, or for worse, uh, that you don't necessarily get when you're just, you know, doing it from your home. But, um, so that's the thing that really, that the thing that really makes me the angriest though, is just, and the, like the saddest is knowing that I won't be able to voice certain things and get out certain stories to a bigger audience. It's not like the clickbait or the fame or any of that stuff. Uh, it's the, it's the megaphone because I really did think it was important to get out stories and I would get out, you know, I, I focus on Israel a lot. I also focus on, you know, I try to be a very kind of anti-war voice. Um, and I would expose, you know, what I consider to be kind of neo-McCarthyism that's going on. Right now, that's also a really important issue. Um, I would talk about Assange a lot. I would also, as you guys would, talk about uh, Stephen Donziger. Um, really try to, you know, use my appearances there to get out important messages that the rest of corporate media don't really allow. Um, so that's the saddest part for me. I think that one of maybe the silver lining is that, I don't know, I think they're going to be forced to allow maybe criticism of Israel because they're going to look like such idiots if they don't. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I think that that maybe will happen. But I I kind of, you know, not not for me because I spoke out. So there's no way they're going to retire me. Well, and here's the thing, Katie, they made an example of you. And so now and I think Kyle makes a really important point. Like this is part of how you sort of rein in the dissent. Right. Because now anyone who goes on that platform has to be thinking in the back of their head, how far do I want to go on this topic? Or like, you know, the next guest host who's weighing those three different topics of immigration or Ukraine or Israel. And like, ah, I'm kind of split between all of them. You know what? This Israel one juice isn't worth the squeeze. I'm going to stick with this topic that I think is safer. And I don't blame them for doing that. Like, that's a very human response because they're weighing the same thing you are of like, you know, this platform is significant and these voices and these stories are really important. And so I really want to be able to continue to go on here and like raise these issues, et cetera. But ultimately, you know, so then the censorship almost becomes self-internalized. Yes. Where you're thinking of, where are, where's the line? 
What can I say that's up to the line? How do I hem myself in? And so, you know, I know this hasn't been easy for you. And I know you've even questioned yourself of like whether this was the right thing to do. But in my mind, like there was no other, there was no, they left you with no other option. You explored every other reasonable possibility. Could I you know, do it in a different way as a segment? Is there another way we could approach this where we're talking about the same issues, but there's somebody else on the other side? You are open to any and all of that. But you cannot, you cannot accept just total blanket, absolutely not. This voice, this view will not be heard on this show because it, it does never end. It doesn't stop with that segment. It will infect your thinking in every single thing you do in the future on that platform. And, And by the way, the flip side of that is why are they letting you talk about certain topics. So what agenda are you serving with the stuff that they allow you to say now? Because now, you know, they're monitoring everything Mm -hmm. and they like things and they don't like things. And they like when you touch certain topics, you got to sit back and say, well, why do they like it when I'm talking about this topic? Like what, what, what is it about this topic that somehow skirts through? And then so you inadvertently, you could be serving nefarious agendas without even realizing it. This, this happened to me at something similar at MSNBC MSNBC. that reminds me of, which is that, you know, I did this monologue that was like, don't run Hillary, like you're a tool of Wall Street. This is going to be a disaster. And I wasn't, they actually, they didn't censor me. They didn't pull it. They let me say it. But afterwards I got pulled aside and was told, if you're going to do any more monologues on Hillary Clinton, they're going to be approved by the president of the network. That got in my head. There is no doubt about it. I'm not going to say I never talked about her again or did other monologues or whatever. But in your mind, you're thinking like, clearly this touched a nerve. Clearly this is, you know, I'm I'm getting out over my skis and this is going to create all kinds of other issues for me. Is it really worth it? And then that calculus, once that's in your head... It just you you don't even recognize all the ways that you are self-censoring yourself as yeah. someone who I mean, you like your integrity is everything. Right. The fact that you're an in, truly independent, fearless voice for these causes, that is everything. And so, again, to me. There was no other choice for you because yeah. going forward, your your appearances in the future, now that you have this knowledge of where the lines are and what you don't want to cross and whatever, right. whatever, we're never going to be the same as your appearances in the past. Yeah. And I think probably what would have happened, though, honestly, is I would have even if they had said, OK, you can do on your segments, they probably would have just faded me out. That's what's funny. It's yeah. like, I don't know why they didn't just try doing that. Like. Would have been yeah. smarter, right? Yeah. Like over time, Guys, just kind of like dial it back a little bit. And then yeah. you can't point to like, hey, I right. literally did this right. monologue. Yeah. They wouldn't let me do it. And then I'm and done. The, and they're trying to claim like it was stylistic and not ideological. Oh, which, no, no, no. Yeah, that, they're they brazen. They're, Look, yeah. that, that's exactly what they said. You remember way back in the day when Jenk got let go from MSNBC? They made the same argument against him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's stylistic. But according to him, he was pulled into a room by the president of MSNBC at the time. And he was told, look, we're insiders. You know, so you might want to be a cool guy, be an outsider, wear a leather jacket or whatever, but you're an insider. So when you're an insider, you got to act like an insider. And he literally said, my, you know, I talked to some friends in Washington and they don't like your tone. And after the fact, they were like, no, it's just it's just, it's just uh, you know, oh it's just God. a style thing. That's all it yeah, was. And, and ahead, the game. audience was was positive. Like people always liked my hosting, which was I mean, there are, of course, there are haters out there, but people it was like overwhelmingly positive for YouTube comments. Yeah. And they also had I had pitched them a show like an all leftist view version of the view. They shot it. We shot a pilot of it. They released one clip from it. It did really well numbers wise, especially because it was released on a weekend. As you guys know, weekend clips don't do that that well. But it did. It was like among the highest, Mm. um, you know, over the span of a couple of weeks. 
Um, so they weren't unhappy with me as a as a host. Um, I had hosted before. I the mean, only thing that changed just, is that I then spoke just completely, about Israel. That's just completely ridiculous. I mean, as yeah. someone who recorded a million of these writers, and I do think it's important to note the owner when I was at the Hill is different than the owner right. now. Now it's Nexstar. And yeah. so I don't know, you know, what ways that the sort of experience and editorial judgment, all of those things have changed since I left, which has now, you know, been over a year. But, um, but yeah, I mean, people, so people are doing radars all the time. I did a million of them myself. Some of them I think were good. Some of them were kind of eh, because that's just the nature of doing sure. something every day. There was never any like, oh, oh stylistically, you're not up to our right. standards. Come on. I mean, it's, it's right. utterly ridiculous. One thing I was thinking about too, Katie, is like, I think people underestimate, especially in an outfit like The Hill, which um, is, you know, a larger corporate entity, but ultimately in the grand scheme of things is a pretty small group. They're fairly resource constrained, time constrained. That's why the monologues go straight right. up into the teleprompter because there's no time um, for anyone to go through and like edit and pick through these things and have some sort of like back and forth process. And so I wonder how much of the criticism has been allowed of Israel just because like no one was really paying that close attention. Right. Well, yeah, apparently the uh, I mean, the producer told me that she didn't know about this, that it was a new it was a new policy of which she had not been made aware. Uh, I think that, you know, it's interesting because the Hill and Rising really prides itself on being a very uncensored kind of uh edgy or not, you know, a place that's, I know they pride themselves on it, a place that where you're allowed to say things, right? The, the shtick is, as you know, because you started the show there, um, Crystal, and in your, the iteration that you started with Sagar, it's the idea was that you could say things on the left that were critical of the democratic party. Sagar could th say things on the right that were critical of the Republican party. You could say things that most corporate media would not let you say. And so the fact is that they've found a way, they've discovered that that's very profitable and monetizable. But clearly, in principle, they don't care about that because they have areas where they won't let people that's go. That's right. Look, like they're, it's real. They're, that's right. they're cosplaying as independent media. That's effectively what it is. And the way that you can determine if somebody's actually independent media is the way that they structure their business. Because what we're all doing, at the end of the day, it is all a business. We're in news and politics, it's independent media, but it is a business. So take, for example, what you guys do over at Breaking Points. What do you do? You have a membership program where people mm -hmm. pay. That's the biggest source of your, your revenue. And then to the extent you have any ad money, it's the traditional YouTube AdSense money where there's a big buffer between you and it, all the advertisers, so you've never had a conversation with a fucking advertiser. Exactly. Same for me. In over a decade of doing what I do, I've never once had a conversation with an advertiser. And outside of the YouTube AdSense money, the only other thing I have is the Patreon where people pay right. me two bucks a month, five bucks a month, basically as like a tip for like, hey, thanks for what you do. We really appreciate it. That's how you know something is independent. You have to go back to the funding sources. You have to see what exactly is going on. And when it comes to these giant corporate entities, and you're right that it's relatively small compared to the CNNs and the MSNBCs and places yeah. like that, the Hill is, but ultimately, clearly, they're in conversation with whoever the hell is funding them, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, whatever companies are funding them. And somebody behind the scenes is like, yeah, I don't like this. Well, what Bronco, do we know about that? Yeah, well, Bronco Marchatich at Jacobin wrote a great piece on what happened, and he uh, discovered that. Um, so, Nexstar bought, uh, which is this media con conglomerate, they bought the Hill um, in August for 130 million dollars, and uh, I guess this month 
Sagot Value Holdings Limited, which is an investment firm based in Tel Aviv, bought 6,100 shares in Nexstar uh, for uh, more than one million. That's more than one million dollars. And he also points out that in late August, uh, I'm going to quote here, Nexstar filled the position of deputy managing editor of News Nation, its cable channel, with Jake Novak, a journalist who spent the preceding year and a half as the media director of the Israeli consulate general in New York. Um, he has written approvingly of Donald Trump's dropping of U.S. support for the two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and he has advocated for Israel to build more illegal settlements on the land that would make up a hypothetical Palestinian state, saying it, quote, would bring more peace, prosperity, and freedom to both Israelis and Arabs, end quote. Mm -hmm. uh, six days before the announcement of his hiring, Novak led a presentation at Bar Ilan University titled Defending Israel Against Media Bias, How to Fight News Media and social media bias against Israel, the best defense is a good offense. Um, and that was an update of a talk that he gave in 2016, uh, which the host described as an absolute masterclass in public relations in diplomacy. So anytime, anytime you're answering to somebody else in, in news and politics, it's bad. It's yeah. bad. You need to know yeah. that you're hearing the unfiltered thoughts that whoever's talking is the one in charge of their own thoughts and their own words, you know? Right. And you only get that through independent media. And that's not to say independent media is perfect. You and I have talked about this before. The biggest problem independent media suffers from is what's called audience capture, where they like, okay, what does my audience like right. that I talk about? Let me only go in that direction, right. you know? Like, right. let me try to surf the wave of the enthusiasm. Then you're not really leading it. You're sort of letting, you know, the clicks lead it. Right. So that's right. a problem with independent media. But, of course, the much bigger problems are in corporate media where you have people who have genuinely terrible politics. My guess is, uh, Katie, if you were to stay there, they would have found something else at some point where they're like, yeah, I don't I like this. Assume, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the Israel stuff in itself would have, I mean, just the fact that they would be cowardly enough to say that they not officially, but I know this, uh, you know, because of what the producer said, but the Hill is not saying this out loud, but the fact that they would have a policy to not have, uh, op-eds on a certain country. I mean, I, I even said, I was like, so what if we did that? Would you guys do that with Saudi Arabia? Like huh. no op-eds on Saudi Arabia? Would huh. that be okay? Right. Or Ukraine or any, I mean. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's psycho. It's it, just a lie. It really is the topic that is the most, like, it really is third the most rail. censored. It is yeah. the most third rail. It is the and most censored. And I hate censored. it because as a Jew, I really hate how even this discussion, it's like the, all these stereotypes about the Israel lobby that people use in an anti-Semitic way. The truth is it's uncomfortable to talk about it. And I'm Jewish and it's uncomfortable for me. So I can't imagine how uncomfortable it is for non-Jews. But there is a really powerful Israeli lobby. Like there is. I mean, you can watch this great uh, miniseries, documentary series called The Lobby, which ironically was censored off of Al Jazeera. Oh, but my luckily, God. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah, they did it. It was a great series. It was an investigative series. Guy goes undercover to look uh, how the Israel lobby functions. And you can find it on YouTube because Electronic Intifada put it up on, on their YouTube channel. But I highly recommend it to everyone because it shows how it works. And also, you know, Wolf Blitzer um, is very, you know, was a, a lobbyist for Israel, uh, there's just a very a lot of people who it's very biased when when you're talking about Israel Palestine. You remember Helen Thomas was said something that was yes. critical of Israel and she basically got blackballed. Yeah. Um, there's just such a double standard in terms of what people are allowed to say and people can say really offensive things when it comes to Palestinians and Muslims and Islam and Arabs. But if you say anything that can be construed as remotely anti-Semitic, 
um, even if it's not anti-Semitic, then you're canceled. And the other thing is that, you know, the Anti-Defamation League and APAC really want you to think that criticizing Israel is anti-Semitic because they know that people don't want to be labeled as anti-Semitic. So they will refrain from criticizing Israel. And the other irony is that it's actually an anti-Semitic trope to conflate being Jewish with being Zionist. Like Correct. there are right. Jews of all different backgrounds. In fact, there's been a, a real historical tradition of anti-Zionist Jews. Right. I mean, some for religious reasons, some for po political reasons. But what APAC and ADL want to do is present Jews as a monolith who all have the same politics and all support Israel, which, of course, is ironic because that's an anti-Semitic stereotype that like the dual loyalty stereotype that we all have the same position on Israel, that we all care about Israel. There's, you know, there's tons of Jews out there. APAC and ADL do not represent most Jews. They represent a very powerful you know, uh, politically, I would say reactionary, uh, and they're w very well funded and they're very well organized and they're great at getting people in trouble. And we saw this, I mean, I wrote this piece of the daily beast that goes through this, all the people who have gotten in trouble. Mark Lamont Hill was fired by CNN. Abby um, Martin was, uh, Abby Martin was, from a school. Was she was going to give a speech at university yeah. of Georgia because she didn't sign like, a. I mean, basically a loyalty oath she didn't right. sign an oath saying that she would not engage in BDS. Right. That the lawyer, the paper, you you can't get paid over a certain amount in the state of uh, Georgia because of one of these laws that luckily she got that struck down. Right. She had to go to so court. She had to go to court. Yeah, she had to sue them. Right. Yeah. So this is happening all the time. And, um, you know, you just really uh, and I'm relatively, you know, Stephen Salida, who is a professor, got fired over tweets that were totally reasonable about um uh, Israel bombing Gaza. He got fired. He's now drives a bus to support himself. I mean, people have had their careers ruined. Norman Finkelstein couldn't get a job in academia because of what he has written and said. And the irony is that he's not just Jewish, but his uh, parents survived the concentration wow. camps look, in the Holocaust. Wow. Katie, look at the I mean, there are anti-BDS laws in many states across the country, and, and now they have had a couple court cases where these things are getting slapped down because it's obviously unconstitutional. But think about the fact that there were laws on the books in certain states saying but basically to have any government contract whatsoever, you can't support boycott, divestment, and sanctions. Right. You're allowed to call for boycotting, divesting, and sanctioning the United States of America right. in this country. Right. You can't call for for Israel? What are right. we really talking about here? This yeah. is insane. This is extreme censorship. And yeah, it's like the number one issue, legally speaking. Uh, maybe it's tied with like the anti-protesting laws that a lot of red states have. I think there were over 20 Republican states that had like literal anti-protesting laws when there were, you know, the George Floyd protests mm -hmm, and they were like mm -hmm. inflating all of that with rioting. And so they banned that. But then behind that, it, it is this is the main issue where there's actual legal action taken against you. And again, the people who cloak themselves in this notion of I'm a free speech warrior the most have nothing to say about it because, you know, they're probably bitching about somebody who tweeted a politically incorrect joke and got like piled on by by right. a group of people, you know? I mean, did you uh, it's a good question to ask. Did you see any? Uh, free speech, pro-free speech, right-wing support. No, I didn't None. hear from Barry Weiss because Barry Weiss herself tried to get Professor right. Joseph Massad fired when she was at Columbia. Yep. I didn't hear from Jordan Peterson. Uh, obviously Omar. not Ben Shapiro. No, Bill, if you're out there watching. I'll come on the show. I'll come on the show, yeah. Um, and I do think also that it probably uh, was very inconvenient for them that I'm Jewish because, again, you can get self and I am called a self-loathing Jew, but you, you do have, for better or for worse, um, you know, 
more of a shield or more cred when you're saying that and right. you're Jewish or right. it's like a little harder to say that you're motivated by anti-Semitism. Now they do it all the time and they say you've internalized anti-Semitism, but I think that people are more receptive to hearing it from Jews. Yes. Yeah, I know. I, I do think that that I do think that that is correct. I mean, I think ultimately the way that you have to approach any of these corporate media outlets is basically as you did, which is it's fine to go on them. You know, right. I mean, I have done plenty of appearances um, during my more independent era on CNN and these other places. But you have to go in with the mindset of like, this could be my last appearance and just right. not care. Yes. Because... Yeah. You know, the minute that you start to make these like little compromises with yourself of like, oh, but the platform's really important. And oh, yeah. if I just don't cross this red line or that red line. I can cross other ones. Yeah, you're, you're done. Right. It's over. You right. have to go into those settings and it's fine to go into those settings, but you have to go into those settings with the mentality of this could be my last appearance and I really don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh that's true. Like you have to go in and see that you're using a megaphone and it's a great thing to have a big reach, but you have to also live, stand by your principles. So, uh, Crystal, I know it's it's different uh, management now than it yeah. was when you were there, but I could say personally, because you and I started Crystal Kyle and Friends, we're doing the separate thing. Yeah. You needed approval for that, right? Remember mm -hmm. that? And so you got the approval. And then when we posted our first... Um, you know, our first show, which was with Marianne Williamson, it did phenomenally well online because we we wanted it to be the video version to be free for everybody and right. then let them know, like, hey, from here on out, you could listen free to the podcast version. But, you know, it's five dollars a month. I support the show and then you could watch the video. So the first one we just posted for everybody to see, it got some ridiculous number of views. It did really well. And then I remember after that, you were basically threatened by management and they were like you're not like you're not doing this anymore. You're not posting it on, on YouTube anymore yeah. or whatever. And this was after I had said to the audience and you had said to the audience too, this is the way that it's going to work from here on out. Like, right. you know, if you go subscribe on Substack, you'll get the video, you'll get it a day early, just pay five bucks. That's how it works. So we built the, the whole model around that. We had the agreement. And then after, you know, they had agreed to it and then they went back at it, back on it. Yeah. And they were threatening like lawsuits and shit. And, and I, I mean, I don't know if you remember was, at the time, I was oh, probably was stressing crazy. you out because I was uh, like, I mean, tell them to suck my was, dick. I'm posting it, was, it no matter what. <laughs> it was all stressing me out. But I mean, look, there's a reason why Sagar and I left. There's a reason right, why yeah. uh, Kim left, you know, as much as I like have plenty of disagreements with her. Um, there's a reason why Ryan and Emily left. There's a reason why ultimately you are leaving. And it's because you know, ultimately with a corporate entity where the bottom line is the bottom line, they can say all they want to about cancel culture and freedom of speech, right. whatever, whatever. Ultimately, the minute that they think it comes into conflict with their profit motive, you're done. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is because they got people threatening to not do business with them. I don't know if it's just pressure from, you know, Nexstar. I assume that it's Nexstar that they seem to be the kind of in the, the new variable introduced into yeah. what's happening. Because so. Cusack was there when I was there and yeah. I did monologues that were critical of Israel and we talked right. about, we had you on during that time right. period, to, you know, and I'm sure did uh, segments that were critical of Israel. So uh, it seems to me that what has changed is the the overall ownership structure. Right, yeah. And it's just, again, it's really unfortunate because, uh it's almost more dangerous almost for when you're watching a show that presents itself as independent. That's true. Like it, it's insidious because That's people true. are going to watch totally. this and think that they're getting uncensored news. And 
there's going to be, you know, when you when when it's not when it is censored, in some ways, that's more dangerous than news that, you know, is censored. Right. And Crystal, um, I remember you and, and Sagar would oftentimes be dealing with stuff behind the scenes. And you guys did a good job navigating it as much as you possibly could. Like as much as it was possible to navigate the swamp, you were able to navigate the swamp. But like you told me stories about um, after you had done a segment on whatever, uh, some pharma thing mm-hmm. that you would get like a call and they'd be like, they're kind of an advertiser with us. So you might want to. I mean, it was kind of blatant. Yeah. I mean, with us. And again, this speaks to like kind of the general disorganization there, you know, where it's not as, it it might be different now, but when I was there, it was a little more, it was a little haphazard. So like, they didn't have it together enough to stop us doing the segments, but then when we did something they didn't like, they would just yell at us. (laughs) So, So yeah, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, I think your point is really well taken, that it's actually in a way even more insidious to have this outlet that postures like it's independent media, postures like it's, pro-free speech and anti-censorship and that's, you know, and uh, and that's what they're putting forward. But then in reality are operating in very similar fashion as every other corporate media outlet out there. Um, so, Katie, you know, I'm curious, like, what are your what has the overall response to you been? What are your plans going forward? Are you working on any new projects? What are your thoughts about the future? Well, I'm going to start and, off by joining Hamas. <laughs> um, but a lot of people have been like, I go to it. Gaza, go to Gaza. Yeah. Um, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, plans for the future. And- well, I was just going to say, you made a point about how you think it's important to have left voices and this more sort of like mainstream feeling package, right. which right. is, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, – Sagar and I thought a lot about when we yeah. uh, launched Rising, and it's something else that we brought into the sort of ethos and approach of of breaking points. But what are some of your thoughts about the the larger left media ecosystem, independent media ecosystem, and what are some of the needs that need to be filled out so that we don't have to rely on places like The Hill right. in order to get those uh, audiences? It's funny. A lot of people who I've been speaking to on my call-in, that's another pl- place people can find me, is just I have a call-in show. Mm-hmm. Um but a lot of the places that uh, – a lot of the feedback I, I've been getting, especially on, during my call-ins where, you know, you take calls from the audience, a lot of people really want some kind of collaboration among leftist media. As you guys know, there's so much division among the left um, and among leftist media. I don't know what the answer is, but I do think that some like some people, we have to just figure out how to get past certain beefs and uh, look at, at areas that we all agree on. Um, I think that's important for politics. I think it's important for media. I think it's important, honestly, if we want to like save the planet. So not sure how to do that, but I think something does need to be done there. Um, I'm going to keep doing my show, uh, the Katie Helper show. I'm going to also, I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to change the studio a little bit. I want to change it, make it look more professional. Um, because I do think that's important and I'm realizing that more and more. So, um, I'm going to also keep doing Useful Idiots, which is the show that I started with Matt Taibbi, who's now on Book Leave. So I co-host it with uh, Aaron Mate. That's the show that you can also find on YouTube and you can support that at um, Substack, usefulidiots.substack.com. But um, yeah, I want to I do a big show, a panel about um, censorship. I want to have on a bunch of people who have been censored over this issue or been fired over this issue. Um, That's a great and, idea. 
so that'll be, look out for that. I'm also going to do something with people in actual uh, Israel, Palestine. So I'm going to do a Sunday daytime stream for the East Coast. It'll be a Sunday daytime stream. So that way we can have people on um, in Israel and Palestine. And um, what else? Uh yeah, I think that's about it. I want to actually, I want to do more monologues, more radars. I want to write more about this. I want to do more straight to the camera videos. I think you should. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that's a strength. I mean, yeah. Uh, what I also always really value about you, Katie, is, um, you know, you find really, I think, interesting, unique, intelligent, like not often heard voices. Um, I really think you do a great job interviewing people and like uplifting people who have stories to tell and shining lights on issues that don't often get heard. So that's what yeah. I've always valued um, on your channel as well. Thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, make sure you are supporting Katie. And uh, Katie, it's great to see you. And thank you so much for spending thank some you. time with us today. Thank yeah, you, Katie. Great. Thank you. Sorry, I wasn't as funny as usual. Little, <laughs> you got in your Hamas. You got in your Hamas. Yeah, yeah joke, I did get so. my Hamas. That was, yeah. that was a good or is line. it a joke? Or is it a joke? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Katie, take oh, care. Oh, we'll another talk. thing, oh. just want to elevate, yeah, sure. of elevating voices, make, make sure that uh, Mondo Weiss and uh, Electronic Intifada. Um, Palestine Legal, uh, all the, uh, Adala, all of these places are great uh, entities you should support. Some of them have covered this. Also, IMEU. Um, and I'll be doing more media. Um, I'm going on Chapo, uh, oh, nice. Al Jazeera. Awesome. So, yeah, people are interested in talking about this. Good. Yeah. Well, that's a, a little bit of a silver lining here. So, Katie, yeah. thank you so much. Great to Thanks see you, so my much. friend. All right. So that's Katie Halper. Uh, yeah, look, it's it's a difficult thing, right? Because even though you do have a lot of people on the left who sort of fall in line and support you and they understand exactly what happened here. Like I said, she lost income yep. and she lost a very large audience, access to a very large audience. Mm -hmm. And that is not easy to do. And I didn't realize too, uh, when she first started talking to me about this, because full disclosure, like when this was all sort of in process, she was, we were going back and forth, like we're, you know, friends outside of the YouTube world. And I didn't realize that she had also been piloting this other show, which I know she'd been talking about for a while, like this kind of like lefty view with like women, but they have different voices than the terrible view that already exists. And <laughs> so, I mean, you know, she was getting like investing creative energy in this new potential idea too. So it is a lot to stay, take a step back from. And ultimately, you know, I understand how she was going through these trade-offs in her mind of like, okay, well, if they just let me at least talk about it in a segment, then that maybe is a trade-off that I can accept. But ultimately, even those sorts of things end up being really pernicious because then, okay, and when you do your segment, do you do you pull a few punches? Do you soften things a little bit? Do you soften the blows a little bit to try to walk that line? It just never ends. If there is a boyfriend who was abusive to their girlfriend, and then they broke up and then somebody's considering getting in a relationship with that same guy who you know just abused somebody. What decision is there? Right. It's like, oh, so, yeah, but it was just a little slap. It, you know, it wasn't. Or is this going to be a pattern of behavior? The best predictor of future action is past action. And so now you open up that door, open up the floodgates just a little bit. Yeah. And then there's going to be micromanaging out the wazoo. That's right. the way it works. And then again, when there's not micromanaging, you have to stop and think, why? Why are they letting me talk about this thing? What agenda am I serving inadvertently right. when I talk about this thing? Right. Yeah. And a lot of uh, news organizations, I think, are a little more sophisticated with their uh, censorship where it's, I mean, this was so egregious and so incredibly blatant. 
But oftentimes what they do is they, you know, look for people who are going to know where those lines Correct. are. Correct, yes. And that's know exactly where right. not to step. And if they do step over the lines, then they're not going to be just like directly blanket fired immediately the way Katie was for it. But as you suggested, they might dial back the appearances. They may not get as much airtime and then slowly they get transitioned down and it's, oh, they just, you know, they weren't performing. Right. You can't put your finger on that it was because they were coloring outside of the lines, but that's the real reason. Yes, so it's all about the Overton window. And, you know, this is Chomsky talked about this in Manufacturing Consent. The idea is you limit the scope of debate, but within that spectrum, you have very vibrant debate. Right. That's the trick. And so you have somebody as far right as, I don't know, fill in the blank, Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever. Yeah. And then as far left as you go is like, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg. right? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, all right, go ahead, do go it at out. it, have at it. Yeah. And then, and then what you're doing is you're leaving a false impression in people's minds that this is all there is. This is the whole spectrum of thoughts that are thinkable. Mm-hmm. And so, if you step outside of this, whoo, you're a weirdo. What are you doing? Right. And so, when you have an outlet like the Hill that took more chances in terms of hiring, wanted outsider voices, and said like, yeah, we're an anti-establishment show and we're for pro-free speech and all this stuff, but then they realize like, oh. Being pro-free speech means airing a segment where, you know, a Jewish journalist says, here's a factual case as to why Israel's an apartheid state. They didn't like that. And so they can't do, to your point, they can't do the smooth it out thing with her on that front. Whereas on CNN, they're only going to let people on in the first place who they think are not going to rock the boat that much. Yeah. And I mean, I really, in the, so the, the way Sagar and I were able to pull this off in the beginning, even to start with, is basically... They'd sort of written Rising Off for dead, and no one was really paying attention. <laughs> really? Hilarious. Because, you know, originally it wasn't me and Sagar, it was me and this guy, Buck. Buck Sexton. And it was a much more conventional, you know, our differences were much more conventional. Yeah, Buck, right. I'll say it. You don't have to, you know, he's your friend or whatever, but Buck is boring. I think he's boring. Very standard right winger. He's just very standard right winger. Sagar, like agree or disagree are... with Sagar, he's interesting. He's got things that are like, he's got some different views that others on the right don't have. Yes, right? so. and that was and that was always from the beginning what I wanted to get is like, you know, that sort of, that sort of the, the sort of conflict but also layers of agreement that Sagar and I are able to do. Yeah, and good, so, good dialogue. Right? Yes. So anyway, Buck and I was more of a conventional left-right and it just wasn't all that interesting and also they weren't letting us put it up on YouTube. They were forcing us to only have it on the Hill's shitty website which no one could even freaking find the show. So once they had basically given up on this thing working, Buck leaves and Sagar comes in and we finally pressure them to let us start putting it up on YouTube. And, and you again, they've basically like given up on it. So like, fine, whatever, do what you want. So in that era where nobody higher up was really paying attention, we knew we were like, okay, we have to race to get to 100,000 subs so that we're big enough. This was our rationale. Right. Why we talked about this. So that we're big enough so that they will have trouble canceling us. Yep. Like we have to get enough momentum behind us that they can't just like access for what we're doing right here. So we, you know, started just like pumping out as much content as we could every single day, like weekend content, the whole thing, racing, racing to get to 100,000 subscribers before someone really noticed what we were ultimately up to. And so that's how this thing came to be 
to start with. And that's why I brought up with Katie a couple of times. I don't know what the what the regime is like over there now, but at the time it was, you know, the Hill is its own thing. Like the newspaper website part of it is really its own thing. And then this little TV part was this weird add-on that just like, you know, happened to be Seven there. Seven people watched Nobody on else really was paying attention to what was going on yeah. over there. And so that was the window in which we're able to like birth this thing that while we're there, you know, takes on this this anti-establishment character and is able to have these voices in like Katie and others that weren't heard in other mainstream spaces. And that's when the corporate entity realizes like, oh, there's an audience and a market for this orientation of commentary. And so now, like clearly Nexstar has leaned into that, but you, they They're don't faking want it. They're fucking faking it. Yeah, right. they right. don't want They're all that it. comes with that. You know, being truly independent and true, and and that's the bottom line for me is even taking the individual executives out of it. When you have that business model, when that is you know it's a corporate entity and this is the business model, you are never going to end up with any result other than the one that happened just now with Katie. That's exactly that's right. It. That's it. Exactly this is right. where it always, always one hundred percent of the time will end. So if you go into one of those spaces, you just have to go in knowing like. This could be the last time I ever do this. This could be my last appearance on this network channel, whatever, and be totally cool with that because that is the only way that you're actually going to speak your mind and say what you think. You said it all. Support independent media, guys. Definitely uh, hook up Katie with a couple bucks a month or something because she is she was financially hit. So definitely For sure. hook yeah. her up, look out for her, go subscribe to her channel and all that stuff because she needs a showing of support right now because last thing I want is Katie Halperson there thinking like, oh, fuck, maybe did I do the right thing? I don't know right. if I did the right thing. Right, because it's one thing, you know, when it first happens and there's a rush of people like, yeah, good job, way to go. But then when you're a month down the road and right. you've lost that platform, like people have to really standing, show up for her. Standing on principle is really fucking hard. Mm -hmm. It's easy for somebody else who's not in your shoes to be like, why didn't you do the principal thing? It's like, because there's a lot of fucking there's ramifications to that. There's, there's a huge a cost. cost to that. There are times I've done segments, said things where I'm like, I know I'm going to piss off like 90% of people with what I'm about to say right now, but I got to do it because I got to stand on principle. This is what I actually think about the shit. There are consequences to that shit. Right. So everybody yep. support Katie. And then a uh, big thank you, of course, to everybody who supports this show over on Substack. Uh, $5 a month gets you the video of all the shows and it gets it to you a day early. Um, everybody else, if you're not paying the five bucks, you can sign up on Substack for free and then you get the audio podcast of it a day later on Saturdays. But anyway, we love you guys and we'll talk to you soon.